Grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5. We want to look at one verse. We won't be exegeting it the way, way we normally uh, do, but I, I do believe it is a uh, good launching pad for what it is that we, we want to look at. I believe the first series we ever looked at here, it's been over six years ago, so I know everyone's forgotten, was the Beatitudes. Uh, we looked at what does it mean to live the blessed life. Um, long, long time ago. If it wasn't the first, it may have been the second series. So, so with that, if you will, stand with me. We'll read verse 9 of the Beatitudes. You could probably do it from memory. Matthew writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we ask you to open our hearts. We receive your word. Our mind, we understand it. Our eyes, we see your glory. Our ears, we would hear and, and, and heed your word. Our mouths, we speak the truth of the gospel, and our hands and our feet, we be transformed by it. Uh, Lord, uh, the issue of conflict is, is big, and it is perhaps the issue we spend more time on in our lives than anything else, and we would have the blessed life if we were peacemakers. Not peace fakers, not peace breakers, but peacemakers. Help us as Christians, forgiven much, to forgive much, in that. May I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Be seated. One of the great frustrations I find in ministry for myself is constantly having to witness Christians who, supposedly armed with the gospel, fail to apply it to their everyday lives. And often, is particularly when it's one-on-one or over the phone or an issue comes up, I just want to say, you know, If only we had addressed the solution to that problem and how to prevent this even become a problem every Sunday of your existence. If only we had addressed that. But of course, you know, that's often we we forget when we leave the church on Sunday uh, what it is that God would have us to do. I think every dad has experienced this, right? A new dad, and, and uh, you, you, you get excited, especially if you have a little boy, but even if you have little girls, to, to, to teach them how to play baseball, right? It's, it's, it's the job of every dad to teach this, right? It's a very, very important job. Every child growing up should have a rudimentary appreciation and understanding of baseball. It doesn't mean you have to love baseball when you're an adult. Just respect the game. It is, it is America's game. And, uh, you know, that you, you've seen that dad, right, the, the little t-ball, right? And he has spent hours and hours and hours with little Johnny, right? He says, Johnny, I want you to grab the bat, shoulder length apart, get the elbow up. You just swing, right? And, and right as Johnny's going to go up for that first bat, he's dragging that bat because it's too heavy. He gets up there and says, remember, keep your eyes on the ball, Johnny. Get your elbows up, Johnny, right? And, and, and what, what happens is dad's ready, right? Everything he has coached, everything he's taught, the, 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 the kid is about to do it. And what is the first thing Johnny does? He gets that bat up and the shoulder drops. At which point the dad says, we worked on this. I promise we worked on it. I told him, get the shoulder up. And what does Johnny do? He, he, he does something goofy, takes his eye completely off the ball, misses it. And he's like, we worked on that. I promise we worked on that. Over and over again, two most important things in batting. Shoulder up, eye on the ball. The same thing is when it comes to the Christian life. Is we fail to take the things we discuss over and over and over again and apply them to our lives. And that is certainly no different when it comes to the issue of conflict. But chances are, at some point today, you have already been in a place of conflict. May have been minor, may have been insignificant, maybe something that will be forgotten forever and ever, or could have been something significant. 
Chances are you walk in the office tomorrow, you're going to be inundated with conflict. Somebody said this. Someone forgot to do that. There's something on your desk, a note or, 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 or a nasty email or a text message that, that you can't read the tone and so you don't know how to interpret it. A message that someone posts online that, that really sets you on fire. You and I will spend a significant amount of our lives engaged in conflict. Wouldn't it be nice if we were peacemakers? If Christians haven't been reconciled to God, we're people of peace. And again, this isn't, this isn't uh, 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 rocket science, but you see here, Jesus connects the blessed life with peace. And those who are peacemakers are called sons of God. Notice here, Jesus is not interested in who wins the arguments, but who brings peace between two warring factions. Let's start with a simple theology of conflict here, a theology of conflict. And, and I, I don't, again, I don't think there's anything we'll discuss here this evening that, that will be news to any of us. Um, but let us start here with the theology of conflict. Conflict starts with sin, right? I mean, again, if, if you don't know this, welcome to Christianity 101, right? Conflict comes from sin. Did you ever think about the fact that Adam and Eve never had a marital fight until there was sin? Is that, is that too obvious? Think about it. The Bible opens up with a wedding. It turns to war. It concludes with a war that ends in a wedding. What changed? Christ is what changed. And so when sin enters the world, there is conflict between God and man, man and woman, man and the rest of humanity, man and nature itself, because conflict is rooted in sin. At one point, did you ever engage in an argument Maybe a throwdown, a term we McDonald's use occasionally, or maybe an argument or a fight or something where the pure motivation of that was the glory of God. Ever? Bueller? Bueller? I, I doubt it. In fact, there's a great example of this. Again, it's in Genesis early on. It's the story of Cain and Abel. You remember that, that Cain is getting really worked up, right? Abel posted something online that really upset him. He's, he's going to go over and teach him a lesson, right? I think that's how the story goes. Uh, it says this, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fall? Now just pause. What, what, what is God saying? Cain, come here. Come here. Yeah, look. Why is this such a big deal to you? Why are you getting so worked up? There's an easy solution to this. Why are you being consumed with rage? Why are you so angry? What else does he go on there? If you do well, you not be accepted. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you to rule over you. So God is asking it. Why? why, why? Is this really worth being so angry over? Answer is no. But Cain can't let his bruised ego go, so he refuses peace and chooses conflict. The whole time, sin is crouching at the That word crouching is an interesting word in Hebrew. It's an animalistic word, right? Much like a, an animal will, will, will crouch before it pounces. And remember, they've just gone east of the garden. What is in the garden is the serpent. It's the same spirit of the serpent that led mom and dad to sin is now about to lead Cain down a similar dangerous road. Conflict comes from sin. So where there's conflict, you know sin. Now, you may say, well, yeah, it's mostly their sin, probably. But you own 100% of whatever role you played in the conflict. Maybe it's just 1%, I doubt it, but maybe it's just 1%, maybe it's 20%. You are 100% responsible for that, and playing victim will not get you out of this. 
It does not get you past go and collect $200 because you're the victim. Sin is sin and must be dealt with. Secondly, we see here conflict is more natural than peacemaking. As a rule, most of us, certainly not all of us, you know, those of us who watch daytime talk shows, um, we don't want conflict as a rule, right? We, we'd rather not have all of this. We get tired of the drama. We get tired of the, 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 the arguments. We get tired of the back and forth. We just get tired. Now, some people love drama. And you should probably keep them at a distance. Maybe have them on your Christmas card list, but probably not your Christmas gift list. You understand the difference? Right? I mean, if they're on your Christmas card list, it's probably because they go to this church or because you, you share some DNA. Other than that, right, try to keep some, some sort of distance. But when conflict does arise, we often seek resolution by adding to the conflict, I remember whenever I used to be a substitute teacher, because I had a master's, I was qualified to, to teach troubled students, and, and these were middle schoolers. And one kid in particular just wore me out. He was always trying to prove his manhood, which if you're having to choose your manhood, right, that doesn't make you much of a man. I, I've, I've never understood that, right? You don't, you don't have to prove your manhood. You just be a man. Right, And he was always trying to prove his manhood. I remember he got in it with some dude who mouthed off to him. You know, you know how, how it goes. I said, okay, all right. So you're going to bust this dude in the mouth, right? Yeah, I'm going to bust him up, right? Okay, all right. You're, you're going to go bust him up mouth. Okay, then what? Well, then he know he ain't going to talk to me like that again. So, oh, that's good. Well, then what? Well, then, then you know, and, and you just, he, he, he keeps going this scenario. I'm like, what well, seems to me is you don't want peace. You just want more conflict. You'll bust this boy in the mouth. He's going to bust you in the mouth. And then you're going to bust him in the mouth. And he's going to bust you. And before you know it, neither one of you can talk. What good is this? But that's the way we approach it, isn't it? We wonder why there is so much conflict. Think of it. If someone is yelling at you, just screaming across the room at you, what are the chances? Now think with me here. Yelling back will actually produce peace. Well, what percentage chance? Zero? If, if someone threatens you, what do you think are the chances that responding with more threatening will actually resolve the conflict? Since when did revenge and vigilantism ever resolve anything outside of comics? The reason we do this is because as fallen creatures, we do not naturally pursue peace. We want to come out on top. We do not want peace. We typically choose war. In the book, I meant to bring it out here. It's just a skinny little book, real, real small. You can read it in, in one setting. I promise you can. Uh, the book is called Resolving Everyday Conflict. And Ken Sandy and Kevin Johnson described this as, as the spark, gasoline, and fire. I think they use SGF, but... I don't know, it's not easy to remember. They start with the spark of conflict. They say, quote, people are different and want different things, right? That's the spark, right? You know, Bob over here wants this with his project. Cindy over here wants this with his project. They can't get along. Something happens, right? A wife says this. Husband thinks this. And they're at an impasse. Conflict comes out of this, right? It is where two people just want uh, two different things, and they need to come to some sort of resolution. That's a spark. That's no, it's no big deal. And then it goes into the gasoline of conflict, where differences get worse when sinful selfishness and pride drive our reactions. Why won't Bob give in to Cindy? Why won't Cindy give in to Bob? Because Bob remembers what Cindy said about him. 
Now, she doesn't know that he knows, but he knows. And she's about to find out when Bob confronts her in, in the lobby. Right? The spark goes to gasoline, and finally there is the fire itself. Destruction, this is them, quote, destruction results when we fail to respond properly and allow our sinful desires to continue driving our words and actions. And so, so, so we lean into the conflict rather than lean into peacemaking. Well, the third thing we need to know theologically, we must move on, is the gospel produces peace. In Christ, we are reconciled to God. And this, is, this has been the Christian argument forever and ever, that when you deal with the vertical, the horizontal should follow. Right? You want to solve your marriage conflict? You want to resolve the conflict in your life? You need to get right with God. You need to deal with Jesus. Because this is something that David learned. His actions with Bathsheba and Uriah were rooted in a heart that was not directed towards God. When he repented to God, he could repent to others. Vertical affects the horizontal. This is one of the things we, we, we do see in the Bible, this, this promotion of peace as a result of the gospel. In John 21, Jesus is risen from the dead, right? And you remember that the disciples, the boys, they are hiding still, right? They know Jesus is alive, but they don't quite understand what that means. And Jesus shows up, right? Because it's, 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 you know, he's really excited about Halloween. And he shows up and he scares them. You remember what was the first thing Jesus says to them? Peace be with you. Now, the way we typically read that is Jesus saying, hey, guys, how are you all? Fine day today here in Jerusalem, isn't it? We see it as a greeting, and it is a greeting. But it's not a greeting like hello. It's the Hebrew shalom. And in the Bible, shalom is the hope that the Messiah would bring a genuine eternal peace here on earth. A peace that was experienced in the garden and loss there in the garden that the Messiah would bring. In fact, in, in John 21, he repeats it three times. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. This is given to us in the prophets, Isaiah 11. I took out as much as I could. There Isaiah says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's Jesus. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fat and the calf together. A little child shall lead them. Now, for you city folk, uh, those animals don't normally hang out, right? You know, one, one is Methodist, the other is Presbyterian. They just don't get along. But when Jesus comes, there will be genuine peace, shalom, and it will be a cosmic shalom. You can see the rest of her. I, I always like to include the part where the nursing child will play over the... Uh, uh, the snakes did, right? Because I, I assume the mothers freak out about that. Someone should tell his mom he shouldn't be doing it. No, in God's kingdom, it's going to be fine, right? But nevertheless, this is what Jesus means by the kingdom of God. In his kingdom is blessed, or is peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace is rooted in gospel love. Unfortunately, we don't live in that world today. We live in a fallen world driven by greed, pride, and animosity. We work toward that kingdom by faith, but much of our lives will be spent dealing with conflict. Regardless, if Jesus brings peace, then the gospel, which is the gift of Jesus, is the key to peace. If sin brings with it conflict, the gospel brings with it reconciliation and peace. Let's look briefly at how conflict works. Have you ever watched a movie and you got the sense that the writers of this movie were following a script? Look, I, I love an action film as much as the next guy, but there are some action films I start thinking, you know, I think I've already seen this about 40 times. You ever watch that? 
Anyone who ever watched Christmas Hallmark movies, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're right. You're five minutes into this, like, I already know where this is going. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I know, I know. That, that, that relationship fell apart, and she's going back home to cry, but you won't believe who's waiting for her there. He just became a doctor, a lawyer, both, actually. It's amazing. And he's, he's like, got the blue eyes, like, like the really gorgeous blue eyes. You ladies know what I'm talking about. And, and he's really sensitive to her needs. But he, 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 he doesn't push it because he, he knows that she is still in the healing process. But then when she's ready, guess who's there? It's Fabio is there, right? And, and, and when they kiss, the snow happens to begin falling at that moment. The music really be, You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you, you've, you've, you've seen the story before. Well, the truth is there are uh, 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 these scripts, you know, the, and these, these motifs that are used. For example, how many movies do we need to watch where there is a ticking time bomb and our heroes who know nothing about ticking time bombs, mind you, they happen to have a pair of scissors that will cut the wire. The question is, will they pick the right wire? Sweat is pouring down their face. The, the, the music matches your heartbeat as it is going, going louder and louder and louder. And, and the audience is thinking, I hope they don't blow up all the heroes, right? And any movie has the heroes ever blown up. No, but they'll close those eyes and, and the cell phones suddenly stop working. The guy that can help them on the other side. So they must make a hard choice. Do I go with the blue wire or the red wire? The blue wire and the red wire. They close their eyes and they cut the white wire and the world is safe. You've seen this a thousand times, haven't you? How many troubled coaches will turn a poor sports team around to win the championship? And we're surprised that it happened. How many lonely women, again, always during Christmas, will find the one? The same is with conflict. When conflict comes, we often follow the same scripts. According to Sandy and Johnson in the Resolving Everyday Conflict, they have an entire ministry on conflict. They say there are three responses to conflict. I think this is true. This is their famous charts. Uh, if, you, if you Google them or, you know, you, you can read my book. I can always replace it. Um, you'll see this chart, and you'll see that there are three responses. You, you see it is uh, escape, fight, or attack, and reconcile. Let's start with, with escape, escapism. They write, quote, When I resort to escape responses, I'm generally focused on me. I'm looking for what is easy, convenient, or non-threatening for myself. Using an escape response usually means I'm intent on peace faking. Trying to make things look good even when they aren't. Peace faking happens when I care more about the appearance of peace than the reality of peace. Ain't this sound familiar? Or is there that guy like, well, look, I just don't want to get involved. Right? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. Everything is okay. They break this down into two categories. One is denial. This is we keep our smile. We act like everything is okay. That can only last for so long. Or we simply run away. We leave the house. We quit our job. We change churches. <laughs> In 60 years, that's never happened here. We file for divorce. We end a friendship, whatever it might be. What you'll find is that leaving doesn't resolve the conflict because you are part of the conflict. And guess what's going to happen at the next church? Guess what's going to happen in the next relationship? Guess what's going to happen in the next marriage? The same stuff is going to come up. I don't know how many times people say, you know, I've been married three times. I just don't know what's wrong with women today. I don't know about women, but I know what's, what's wrong with those three women. And it's you. And it works the other way. I've had all these husbands. I just don't know what the problem is. I don't know what's wrong with men. I can tell you what's wrong with those three guys. It's you. 
You're the common denominator. And just because you escape, just because you run away, doesn't mean that issue is resolved. Burning bridges is not a gospel resolution. Because if it was, Jesus would have never came to rescue us. He would have wiped his hands and moved on. Escape is a temporary fix. It is a ceasefire while the, both sides reload. It does not resolve conflict. The other is attack. And here, this is the fight and flight mentality. Sandy Johnson, uh, Sandy and Johnson um, say people use attack responses when they are more interested in winning a conflict than in preserving a relationship. Ever meet these people? Are you one of these people? Right? I, I grew up in one of these households, right? I mean, we, we fought. And I tell kids all the time, you, you, you could survive my childhood. I mean, I had literally lost teeth because my brother hit me in the face, right? And then, then I landed on our chair and just, you know, blood's everywhere, you know. And he's like, I guess I won, <laughs> right? You know, it's just like, that's all right. You, 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 win, you win the battle, but I'm going to win the next one, buddy, right? right? And, and, and this, this is it, where we care about winning an argument, feeling superior rather than caring about peace. They go on to add, quote, when I resort to an attack response, I'm generally focused on you. Escapism is I'm focused on me. Attack is a focus on you, blaming you, expecting you to cave in and solve the problem. Attacks are peace-breaking, sacrificing people in peace to get what I want. Peace-breaking happens when I care less about our relationship than I do about winning. Again, these are the people that talk the most in business meetings. Common responses of attacks include, I, don't, I didn't put them up here, instant attack, the quick-tempered person, uh, and those who can't escape anymore. You can corner someone only so far until eventually mama bear comes out. Until there is attack. Assault, whether it be legal means or by compromising their reputation, financial security, spreading damaged rulers, whatever. The goal is to destroy them. Maybe you've been a victim of that. Maybe you've been the one that's done that. Well, that may be what, what Johnny said, but let me tell you what Johnny's really like when, outside of work. Let me show you this text she sent me. That's assault. Our third option, one is escape, the other is to fight, the third is reconcile. Seeking peace moves the focus from you, that's the attack, or me, um, that's escape, to us. Only pursuing reconciliation will bring peace. But there's a reason why we don't usually choose reconciliation. It's because it's a lot of hard work. It's easy to throw fists. It's easy to write a nasty email. It's easy to walk away. It is hard to stay and work things out. It is hard to repent. It is hard to seek forgiveness. It is hard to see uh, and understand what the other side is trying to say. That, that is hard work, but the payoff is far better. It is far, far better. So let us briefly look at how it is that we, we resolve conflict. And none of this is new. And you're not going to leave here saying, well, you know what? I never knew that was in the Bible. You're not, because you've heard this a thousand times. And this is exactly what God has demonstrated to us in the cross. How do we resolve conflict? Well, the first is selfless love. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another. Earnestly, keep loving one another. Do you notice there's not a footnote behind keep? Keep loving each other, but you know, if he acts up in business meeting again, you, you don't worry about it. Keep loving each other, but if he shows up like that again at Thanksgiving this year, he's not part of the family anymore. Keep loving each other. That's okay. If, if your feelings are hurt, well, then, then hate, that becomes okay. That's not what Peter says at all. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 
How do I know love covers a multitude of sins? Because it covers mine at the cross. You don't need to look any farther than the cross. We have to remind ourselves that love is, by definition, selfless. And we have to remind ourselves of that because love today doesn't mean selfless. It means selfish. So when it comes to relational love, we approach relationships as, how does this person make me feel whole? That's the hallmark stuff. How does this person make me happy? Does this person meet all of my expectations and demands? That's selfish love. Gospel love is selfless love. Then there is genuine humility. Solomon writes in Proverbs 11 too, when pride comes, we saw this this morning, then comes disgrace. With the humble is wisdom. Jesus states in Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Interesting that love and humility are paired with each other. Conflict fuels pride. I'm going to be the bigger man here and not get involved. That's escapism. Well, I guess I got to step in here and solve the problem. Let me show y'all how it's really done because I'm the man. That's attack. Both are rooted in pride. Conflict fuels pride. It is the gasoline of, of conflict. We either want to be right or be left alone. And when we're left alone, that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to gossip. Of course we're allowed to gossip, you know, because I escape so I can talk about it, right? It's all pride. Humility forces us to address our role in the conflicts and to accept the proper steps for healing. That's the part we don't like. I'm responsible for the fact there is conflict. And I must address it. Thirdly, honest confession. We've all heard the same apology by politicians and celebrities alike, right? I'm sorry that I was misunderstood. Look, if I offended anybody, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, that's not who I really am. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. See, the Bible demands of us more than an apology. A confession and with confession, repentance. One of the things I've noticed in our world is everyone's okay with confession. They're not okay with confession with repentance. Think about it. If, if you just come out and say that, you know, I, 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 this is just who I am. This is what I want to be. This is how I think things ought to be. And I know people disagree with me there, but I've just accepted this is who I am. That's confession. That's not repentance. That's a type of confession, not biblical confession. Confession brings with it the, the, the assumption, or what should be the assumption, that I'm the one in the wrong. And repentance is because I'm the one in the wrong, something must change. It's not my circumstances. It's not the government. It's not the system. It's not my family. It's me. It must begin with me. Sandy and Johnson, again, in the same book, they offer seven A's of a good confession. I'm going to spend forever on this. You can read the book for yourself. Address everyone involved. Avoid if, but, and maybe. You know, if, if some of y'all were, were offended, you know. I don't normally do this, but, you know, maybe I was just misunderstood. You know, that, that sort of stuff. Admit uh, specifically, you know, these general statements uh, of, uh, I'm sorry I did something wrong. Yeah, you did. Now tell me what it is that you did wrong. Uh, acknowledge the hurt. Uh, your actions have hurt others. Accept the consequences. Look, seeking forgiveness and confessing sins does not mean that consequences go away. It doesn't. 
You'll never find that in the Bible. Sixthly, alter your behavior. That is the repentance aspect of it. And seventhly, ask for forgiveness. And in asking for forgiveness, allow for time. You can't go up to someone and say, yeah, man, that was pretty messed up what I did. You over it yet? I said I was sorry, right? Well, that's, that's not how it works. Not how it works at all. Fourthly, sincere repentance. Repentance is more than apology. It's a contrite heart healed by God. It is a complete turnaround. John the Baptist states this in, in Matthew 3, when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees. By the way, those are religious people, not those pagans that you know, vote the wrong way. Those, those, those are religious people. They're coming to his baptism, and he's, he says, you brood of vipers? Now, wouldn't it be awesome if you went to a baptismal service at your local church? And that's how it started. I might try that next time. Yeah. It'll be the last baptism I do here, but it would be, be a way to, way to go, I guess. You brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the wrath of come. Who do you think you are coming here? What do you think this is? A show? We just want to prove your righteousness? I know what this is. Bear the fruits and keep them with repentance. That's genuine repentance. It's not about spirituality. It's about redemption. Fourthly, ready forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things you will ever do in this world. We want revenge. We want to hold grudges. And this is why we are all so miserable. Paul teaches in Ephesians 4, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Notice there, forgiveness is rooted in the gospel, not your feelings, not your past, not your expectations, rooted in the gospel. Uh, uh, we have been forgiven much. We should be able to forgive little. You have never, no one has ever sinned against you worse than you have sinned against your maker. See, forgiveness is freedom. It is freedom. It is the key to genuine, blessed life. Blessed are the peacemakers because peacemakers forgive and are forgiven. Vertically and horizontally. Two things you know about forgiveness. We've talked about this a thousand times. One is forgiveness is instant. You can choose right now to forgive. Right now. You can do that. As you sit there, you, you can choose to forgive right now. But the second is equally true. Forgiveness is progressive. Often we think that if I forgive, I'll just move on with my life. And the truth is, you're going to struggle. So you need to forgive now, and you need to keep forgiving forever and ever. And I do believe that as God heals your heart, it, 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 the need to, for the constant reminder to forgive, it lessens. But if you have Christ in front of you, that progressive progress, I believe, can happen. And maybe right now, uh, God will convict you of, of realizing, man, there's someone in my life I've never really forgiven. I've put it back in the corner, and it's got some cobwebs, but, but man, I feel really convicted. I've never really forgiven them. You can choose right now to forgive, and you can choose right now to start that journey of forgiveness. Sandy, Sandy and Johnson put it this way. Christians are the most forgiving people in the world and should be the most forgiving people in the world. It's a shame it's not that way, isn't it? Finally, patient reconciliation. Forgiveness is something you control. You can choose right now to forgive. No one can make you. You can forgive. You have all that power in the world. But reconciliation, on the other hand, is a two-way street. I was counseling someone through a divorce one time. This person didn't want a divorce. Her spouse did. And for six months, there was this back and forth between the two. Uh, he was trying to save the marriage. She was wanting to end the marriage. She, she had come to the end of her rope. And he kept saying, Preacher, what can I do to save my marriage? I said, the first thing you can do is, is the fact that I'm only talking to one person. You're winning reconciliation, but this person doesn't want reconciliation. And the hard truth is, you have no control over that. 
You can beg, you can plead, you can do everything right, but reconciliation is a two-way street. It's sort of like if you were to ask someone out on the date. If you're married, ignore this, this illustration. But if you can ask someone out on a date. If they say no, that's the end of that conversation. Now, you don't control that. And there ain't no secret sauce to that. You try slicking your hair the other way, it's probably still not going to work. Try a different pickup line. The problem probably wasn't the pickup line. It's a two-way street. So too, if the other party refuses to reconcile, there's no secret sauce but time. And the big part of that time is to forgive, to seek forgiveness, and to demonstrate fruits of repentance. Perhaps by God's grace, reconciliation will come. But if the two people involved are Christians, there had better be reconciliation. There's no excuse for the lack of reconciliation. If you say Christ is your Lord and Savior. Years ago, I heard Dr. Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, he, he told a story in a sermon. He's at a hotel pool one time. And I think the mom was wanting the dad to teach their son how to swim, this little boy. And was frustrated he, he wasn't given a sort of attention to his desire to swim that she thought was necessary. He thought, I'll, I'll fix this. He goes over to his boy, gets down to his level. He says, son, there's two things I want you to know, and I want you to remember. Number one, I love you. I love you more than anything in this world. I would ne do, never do anything that would permanently harm you. All I want is for you to grow up to be a godly man and a good man. I love you with all my heart. Number two, you are not going to die. He picked him up and chucked him into the pool. Now, some of you, that's how you learn to swim, isn't it? All right, my, my, my parents say all the time, yeah, we paid all this money for my, for, for my brother and sister to learn to swim when they were little. And he said, all they did was say, okay, jump. Right, that, that was the swim. You figure it out. Your body doesn't want to die. You'll be all right, right? And we're like, why are we paying all this money when we could have done that as punishment, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, to be honest, that's why I didn't do swimming lessons. What, what I had was a brother and sister who were more than willing to dunk me, okay? You know, uh, but, but there's some real truth to that. I love you, right? Don't forget that because you're going to question that. <laughs> and secondly, you're not going to die, right? Just chuck them right in. I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying it's a story. And if you were offended by that, I ask for forgiveness, right? You see? You see? Oh, that just went right in there. That was good. That was good. Well, conflict is similar to that. I mentioned this this morning. We began our journey today that I... I do enjoy refereeing. I get burned out at the end of every season, but, but I, I do enjoy because I enjoy the game and I enjoy seeing players get better the, each season and, and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things, as I said this morning, is when you referee, no one likes you. The position is one of conflict. Every time you blow your whistle, you're making someone angry. Every time you don't blow your whistle, you're making someone angry. Conflict comes with it. But conflict is a predictable experience. One of the things I've struggled with over the years, I've been open about this, was, was anger issues. Uh, I still remember when at church my brother had to sit, literally sit on top of me. He's three and a half years older than me. He was at the puberty stage I wasn't, so he had put on some pounds, you know, muscle pounds. And so I'm glad he was because I was ready to, to do something ungodly, right? I was very, very angry. This kid tripped me and I was done with it. And see, my problem is I'm more of a fighter than an escape, right? 
I, some of you have probably heard me, like, my sarcasm comes out. That's how I deal with my anger issues now is it comes out of sarcasm. Right? Genuinely don't care about your feelings if, at, at a certain point. So what I decided to do to help with my anger issues was referee. <laughs> right? That was like, okay, what's the one thing that may set me off? I know having a thousand people scream at me that they, 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 they wish, I, you know, you know, that I wasn't worth a dime, right? It's actually been quite helpful. It's, it's, it's the jumping into to, to the deep end part, right? Now, I'll confess I haven't always handled it well, often to my own embarrassment, and I've had to seek forgiveness as a result. I can think of a few examples I've taught my head. But I found that it has been good for me. It's been good for me to, to realize that I go into a game that there will be conflict. There will be angry people. I cannot, as a Christian, respond the same. Respond the way that we have a habit of responding in our everyday lives. Same is true with church leadership, right? If you get pastors alone in a safe space of other pastors, their true feelings really come out. But they're put in a situation where they know they cannot, for the sake of gospel, give in. They must seek peace. I think it's time for Christians to do the same thing. A lot of times we think we get a pass because we don't have a title, or because we're not behind a pulpit, or because we're not in a position of authority. Dear Christian, you are called to be a peacemaker. Not a peacebreaker, not a peace faker, but a peacemaker. Where would this church be after 60 years if we truly believed it and practiced it? Where would Christianity and evangelicalism be in this country after over 200 years if we truly believed it and practiced it? Look, you want to change our world? Our world is at war with itself. You be the difference maker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they, they are the children of God. Let's pray.